Hi, friends. Welcome back to Nate Talks to His Friends About Jesus. Thanks for joining me. Happy summertime. Dude, you ready to talk about some Come Follow Me, some Doctrine and Covenants, 77 to 83? Dude, this is good stuff. It's better than you imagine. And here's the thing. These sections, they tell us about heaven. And now, heaven could be the 4th of July, now, this is not just recency bias on my part, I promise. I thought about this months ago, but it's still true. I know all y'all are, are all in for Christmas, and don't get me wrong, anything that celebrates the living Son of God, I'm at 100. But there is something about the 4th of July. You wake up, and you know it's going to be a perfect day. I don't know if it's ever rained on the 4th of July in the 250 years since Independence Day. The jet stream just knows. So you put on some shorts, a red t-shirt, slide on your your now summer calloused feet into some flip-flops, and you roll out to a parade, like a nice small town parade, where they have like an airplane fly over Main Street and drop out ping pong balls that you can exchange for prizes at the park, where they still throw out candy. Yeah, that should be a thing. And little two-year-old blonde girls with two... Little tiny pigtails toddle around in Velcro-strapped sandals with a grocery sack, only picking up pink suckers. Where Miss Small Town America rides on a float slash trailer pulled behind a pickup truck in a dress and waves hand, elbow, wrist, wrist. And the, the little girls in the crowd scream, look at the princesses. Maybe that's the moms yelling to the little girls, I don't know. And don't forget about the rodeo queens uh, coming through on their nervous, jittery horses, suspicious of all the sugar, jittery kids. Then you head to the park where they just bust out watermelons, ice cold and so deeply red they're almost purple, so heavy with juice and sugar that no matter how careful you are, the juice just runs down to your elbow and streams into the grass. But it feels so good to be wrapped up in family and community and love and watermelon that you don't even care. Then you have the barbecue. Hamburgers that are not pre-made frozen patties, but fresh ground beef your uncle has put his soul into. Fire grilled to perfection. Ate under the shade of an outdoor pergola. Maybe there's even some room for some pie afterwards. Then with a full belly and warm air around you, you sink into a sleep as you listen to the familiar sound of your grandma's voice talk about, I don't know, the same thing she always talks about. It's just about as comfortable as you can be. As night falls, you grab your blankets and you, you walk with the ones you love back to the park, spread out your blankets as the speakers thump out the classics about America and being born in the USA, all of that. You cuddle up with the one you love, their head resting lightly on your shoulder. The lights dim, the fireworks burst in their brilliant pink and flashes of white. uh, You're close enough that you can feel the percussive bursts echo in your chest. And it just feels right, safe, happy, content. I'm telling you, the 4th of July could be heaven. So, what is heaven? I'm here to tell you today that it's actually more like the 4th of July than you might think. You see, 
Our story today is going to start in Doctrine and Covenants section 77. In Doctrine and Covenants 77, Joseph starts asking the Lord about the book of Revelation. And I know you think that book is just weird, but it really is not that strange if you get what's going on. Basically, what's happening is the prophet John is just using imagery that's familiar to the people at that time to describe the victory of Jesus Christ over Satan and therefore granting us, the the captives of Satan, a place in our father's kingdom. Uh, He uses the idea of a lamb beating a dragon, which is the most ridiculous image you've ever seen. Like a, a lamb beating a dragon is the dumbest thing ever. It makes no sense. But if he were writing for us today, he could have used some imagery we were familiar with. He could have used like Luke over Vader or Harry over Voldemort. It's the same thing. Uh, The point is that the God of the universe snatched victory from sure defeat in an unimagined way and by doing so created heaven. So, what is heaven? 77 verse 1. It is the earth in its sanctified, immortal, and eternal state. You see, the the message of the book of Revelation is that the lamb conquered the dragon who had dominion over the earth. It's the sacrifice of the innocent one that had the magic and the power to overthrow the grasp of the power of darkness. I hope you see what he's saying here, that Jesus Christ overthrew Satan's power here, the innocent one, and that act had magic that draws us in, that initiates our Father's kingdom on this earth. The earth is going to be renewed and be the celestial kingdom. Heaven will be here. And in essence, I want to tell you, heaven is here. And so, so what is heaven like? Verse 2, it's the paradise of God, the happiness of man and beast, that which is spiritual being in the likeness of that which is temporal. Whoa, that's crazy. Temporal meaning this physical earth, the spiritual being being in the likeness of this. Ah, You should take some time to think about that. Their destined order or spheres of creation in the enjoyment of their eternal felicity. Like heaven is the good life. Heaven's right here on this earth. So what is heaven like? Well, it's happy. It's eternal felicity. It's good life. And who is going to be in this heaven enjoying this good life with you? Verse 5. Elders who had been faithful in the work of ministry. These are they who have had an everlasting gospel to commit to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people having power. Sealed the servants of God. Those who are sealed are high priests ordained into the holy order of God to administer the everlasting gospel. Let's just translate this a little bit. Who's there? Who, who's in heaven? Who's in your neighborhood in heaven? Well, the people in your neighborhood now. Like regular neighbors. People who just trust Jesus, imperfect people who trust Jesus and are just trying. Man, you know these people, man. The good people who are just trying. Heck, some mediocre people who are trying. It looks like people in your neighborhood, your quorum, your class, normal people. Like that guy. Exactly. That guy is going to be there with you. 
So how do we make heaven happen? Well, first of all, we don't. Jesus does. The lamb conquers the dragon. It's all about being loyal to him. Verse 12, then will the Lord God sanctify the earth and complete the salvation of man and judge all things and shall redeem all things. Jesus is the one that's going to make this happen. So heaven, we're saying, is right here on this earth. Heaven is regular people who are committed to Jesus, and Jesus is the one that makes this happen. So let's get the scoop on, uh, on just a little bit more of what heaven is like. Section 83 gives some instruction on how to bring heaven to earth, how to work with Jesus to transform this, the very fabric of this existence. And let me give you a warning. It seems really, I don't know, dull? Can we call heaven dull? Is it, like, it seems ordinary. Like, surely there, it's way more earthly than heavenly. But... It's what God says, so, so maybe there's something here. How do we bring about heaven? Section 83, verse 2. Women have claim upon their husbands for their maintenance. Verse 4. All children have claim upon their parents for their maintenance until they are of age. What, what's heaven like? Well, it's like my dad working growing up as a flour miller, even though he didn't really like it. Is my grandpa coming from a broken home, working somebody else's land for 16 hours a day during the summer light to provide for his kids and creating a very different heritage for them and for me? What's heaven like? Verse 5, 83 verse 5. And after that, they have claim upon the church or in other words, upon the Lord's storehouse. If their parents have not wherewith uh, to give them their inheritances. And the storehouse shall be kept by the consecration of the church, and widows and orphans shall be provided for, and also the poor. So, so what is heaven according to these verses? Uh, what does it take to transform this earth? Well, it's, it's taking care of your family. And then it's taking care of those who who can't seem to get it together, those who struggle, the hungry, the poor, the sick, the alone. Those who, for whatever reason, can't seem to get their crap together, even scraping it with both hands. Heaven is caring for those who are just a hot mess. We we care for them. How how do we do this? Well, God is really serious about section, uh, about this. Section 83 is actually just an outgrowth of implementing what God asked them to do in 78, where, where he, he takes the providing for the poor so seriously that in, in section 78, verse 3, he commands that there be an organization of my people in regulating and establishing the affairs of the storehouse for the poor. Like he's so, so intent on caring for these people who struggle that he wants a system and an organization in place to care for them. He says that you may be equal in the bonds of heavenly things, yea, in earthly things, for obtaining of heavenly things. For if you are not equal in earthly things, you cannot be equal in obtaining heavenly things. There's some rich stuff there that you may, might want to ponder. But he's saying, I want you to organize a corporation. Now, this corporation is going to be known as the United Firm or the United Order eventually. We'll talk a little bit more about it uh, more in the future. But order just or firm just meaning like a law firm. It's like an organization, a corporation, a business, right? 
And so he, he's saying, I want you to organize a corporation that is going to be responsible for supplying and running the storehouses of the church so that poverty can be eliminated among the saints, both in Ohio and Missouri. That's a beautiful idea of what is heaven. You're getting a glimpse right there. Uh, we, we take this commission very seriously today. The church is amazing at how it does it, its work. It's involved in so many efforts to care for the poor. Here, here's just some eye highlights. Like, uh, they, they are deeply involved in neo, neonatal resuscitation. Oh my goodness, I can't even say it. But you, hopefully you get neonatal resuscitation. Boom, got it. Like, they, they provide resuscitation. <laughs> resuscitation training and equipment uh, to, to health practitioners and organizations all over the, the, the world, especially in places that have high infant mortality rates, saving as many people as possible. They also have these expansive clean water projects, um, working with local communities to give them access to clean water and wells and things like that. They focus a lot on feeding people, food production and nutrition initiatives, helping provide communities that, that are under, um, <laughs> underhelped, undernourished to get the food and nourishment they need. They also create these amazing, uh, innovative wheelchair distribution plans and, and they do vision treatment and, and provide glasses and surgeries to prevent blindness. It's amazing. They work with childhood immunizations to, to help provide vaccines for measles, whooping cough and other conditions. Like that's heaven, man. That's something I can get behind. Like <laughs> great job restoration. Hallelujah for prophets. These things are amazing. That's how you build heaven, right? But what if you're stuck here? What, what if you're just like, what if you're not out immunizing children in, in, or, or digging wells in the middle of some crazy country? What if you're in suburbia? <laughs> you're just a basic person not doing anything huge. And you're just a regular human being. Well, I think there's another section in the sections we're studying this week that gives us, a, gives us some insight here. In section 80, God gives a mission call. And in verse 3, he says an interesting line. He says, Wherefore, go ye and preach my gospel, whether to the north or to the south, to the east or to the west, it mattereth not, for you cannot go amiss. Elder Bednar comments on this, and he has some interesting things to say. He says, I do not believe that the phrase, it mattereth not, as used by the Lord in this scripture, suggests that he does not care where his servants labor. In fact, he cares deeply. But because the work of preaching the gospel is the Lord's work, he inspires, guides, and directs his authorized servants. As missionaries strive to be ever more worthy and capable instruments in his hands and do their best to fulfill faithfully their duties, then with his help, they cannot go amiss wherever they serve. Perhaps one of the lessons the Savior is teaching us in this revelation is that an assignment to labor in a specific place is essential and important, but secondary to the call of the work. Now, I know he's talking about missionary work in particular here, 
But listen to what he's saying. Working for God is way more important than where or even how you work. And the the thing is, God placed you where he placed you with talents and skills. And he's saying, go out and do good. And you're like, well, I can't do anything good. I'm just stuck here. And God's like, well, I put you there to do good. Like, go out and do good where you are at. Section 82 builds on this idea. For of him unto whom much is given, much is required. And I feel like God's talking to each of us right there. Therefore, what I say unto one, I say unto all, watch for the adversary spreadeth his dominions and darkness reigneth. Or in other words, I give unto you directions how you may act before me, that you may turn it for your salvation. See, I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say. But when you do not what I say, you have no promise. Now, just just pay attention. In this context, he's not given necessarily a catch-all promise here, but he's rather giving a reminder that he has asked them to form a corporation and care for the poor. And when they, they form this care, corporation and care for the poor, when they reach out and do good in their individual spheres, when they use what they've been given to give to others, he's like, I'm on, on your side. I'm on your team right here. He goes on to say, therefore, this verse following that one, right? Verily I say unto you that it is expedient for my servants, Edward Partridge and Newell K. Whitney, Sidney Gilbert and Sidney Rigdon and my servant Joseph Smith and John Whitmer and Oliver Cowdery and W.W. W. Phelps and Darren Harris, whew, to be bound together by a bond and a covenant that cannot be broken by transgression except judgment shall immediately follow your several stewardships. So again, that whole list of names, they're going to be bound together in a group, in a covenant, in a corporation to care for the poor. That's what it says in the next verse, to manage the affairs of the poor. And all things pertaining to the bishopric, both in the land of Zion and in the land of Kirtland. Therefore, I give unto you this commandment that you bind yourselves by this covenant to care for the poor. And it shall be done according to the laws of the Lord. And all of this for the benefit of the church of the living God. Why are we caring for for the poor? Why are we reaching out to those who, who just like can't make it work themselves? He's like, for the benefit of the church of the living God, that's how we bring the church of the living God. That's how we bring the kingdom of God. That's how we bring heaven to the earth. That every man may improve upon his talent. Okay, whatever you've been given, he's saying, use this to care for others. Whatever it is, I don't you have a talent, you have a gift, whatever it is. That every man may gain other talents, yea, even a hundredfold. Like this is the path of divinity. This is the path to go to God, to be cast into the Lord's storehouse. Like whatever you get, you freely give again. Whosoever loseth his life shall find it. To become the common property of the whole church. So again, they're, they're forming this corporation to care for the poor, to build heaven here on earth. Like a real thing. Like they're, they're taking this very seriously as we should. And this seems rather glamorous. But this comment about talents, which is the New Testament was like a coin, but it also has become known as a quality, a skill, an ability, or in other words, a talent. So they're to use their talents 
to build businesses to care for the poor. For example, Newell K. Whitney and Sidney Gilbert are to run stores and use the profits to buy goods so that the poor can eat. You know why they are chosen to run stores? Because they'd run successful stores in the past. W.W. Phelps is called to run the printing aspect of the, this conglomerate. Why? Because he had, any guesses? Because he'd been a successful editor and publisher. So running a store or editing grammar can be heaven? Well, maybe. If every man, verse 19, seeking the interest of his neighbor and doing all things with an eye single to the glory of God. Catch that again. Being in suburbia, being a mom, editing grammar. Again, whatever your business is, this can be heaven. Yes. When you seek the interest of your neighbor and do things with an eye single to the glory of God. A Monday morning, a Tuesday afternoon can be filled with richness. In the middle of a spreadsheet. As we seek to serve and lift up. Like like I saw this the other day. I took my boy to meet his teacher for kindergarten back in the fall, right? For, for a pre-meeting with his teacher. His teacher has been helping five-year-olds learn to read for, I don't know, like 30 years now. And he walks in her room and she locks her eyes on him, seeing only him, and declares from day one how much she loves him. Like she gets it. She's not counting the days to retirement. She's not just waiting till she can send those runny-nosed little heathens out to recess. There is nothing else she wants to do. This is her craft. This is her soul. She is completely all in. I was moved at that moment and have continued to be moved. Dude, the, the school year ended. A month later, he gets a handwritten note from this woman. Oh, man, it touches my heart. With an eye single to the glory of God and the interest of his neighbor, that can be heaven. But sometimes, again, I I know that being in suburbia seems so basic. I have friends that contribute so well. I know (laughs) one runs a humanitarian efforts in Zimbabwe. Another travels to Mexico to enrich the lives of orphans. Another's gone to Cambodia. Maybe it was Tonga, I don't remember, to build schoolhouses. <laughs> like, that's contributing to a cause. That, that is unquestionably heaven. But, but being stuck in suburbia, that just seems so basic and boring and unimportant after all those other big things people are doing. But we consider the following parable in this context. Once upon a time, there was a goalie that longed for the glory of scoring goals. Now, now don't get me wrong. He was an excellent goalie. Long, quick, lucky. He just seemed to have a sense of where the attacker was going to place the ball and would leap. Just throw his body with reckless abandon and with Sometimes just the tip of his extended fingers changed the trajectory of the ball so that the goal was saved. But four words. Those are who the fans come to see. Those are the ones that get a rip off their shirts in celebratory ecstasy to the salute of the screaming mayhem of the fans. And so it came to pass 
that our goalie resolved to score some goals. He left the box on every play and attacked with the same reckless abandon and reaction that he used that he used to be applied in the box. He was a storm, a tempest, a force. And it came to pass that his team lost every game that season because there was no goalie to stop the counter-strike. My grandma was a lunch lady. Now trust me, I, I know how low that position ranks in prestige. She was a lunch lady in a tiny town at a tiny high school in Nowheresville, southeastern Idaho. She did her job well. She's a good cook as her plump comportment testified. But uh, it was at lunch that she really had a mission. She knew kids' names, treated them with warmth, teased them, threatened them, loved them. One day, my, my cousin was working at a grocery store in the next town over, uh, and my grandma came through the store and greeted he greeted her with a hug and a hearty, Grandma Willa! After she left, another bagger came up and asked, How do you know Grandma Willa? <laughs> Since um, since this guy, this other bagger, knew that my cousin did not go to the school she worked at, he, he was like, dude, I don't know if you know how this works, but she's my grandma because she's my dad's mom. Oh, I call her Grandma Willa too, the other bagger said. Yeah, to feel such warmth, such acceptance. What's heaven? Let me share another case study with you. It comes from Doctrine and Covenants section 79. Verily I say unto you that it is my will that my servant Jared Carter should go again into the eastern countries from place to place and from city to city in the power of the ordination wherewith he hath been ordained, proclaiming glad tidings of great joy, even the everlasting gospel. And I'll send upon him the comforter, which shall teach him the truth and the way whither he shall go. And inasmuch as he is faithful, I will crown him again with sheaves. Wherefore, let your heart be glad, my, uh, my servant Jared Carter, and fear not, saith the Lord God, even Jesus Christ. So Jared Carter heard this mission call, and he went out, and he did his best. Uh, he, he followed Doctrine and Covenants section 79 exactly. He goes from town to town in eastern United States in the power of his ordination. And when he comes back, he summarizes his service. He, his service. he says, I've been gone six months and two days. The Lord has permitted me to administer the gospel to 79 souls. And many others by my instrumentality have been convinced of this most glorious work. God has blessed me according to the prophecy of Brother Joseph before I went from Ohio. He blessed me with sheaves. Let me tell you about one of these sheaves because I think it fits into to this idea of building heaven on earth. This guy's name is John Tanner. John Tanner um, was born in Rhode Island, supposedly. I don't know if I know anybody actually from Rhode Island, but story says he's from Rhode Island. Like many other Americans, like we've talked about at the time, when he's 13, he and his movie, he and his, movie, he and his family moved to um, Western New York. When he's 22, his dad died, and so John Tanner takes over the family farm, and he proves to be really good with money, like really good. By the time the missionaries come around, he owns several homes. He owns a hotel, a 
a large farm, an orchard, a dairy, a sawmill. He owns a dang island and 2,200 acres just of timberland. Like this guy knows how to make money. And he uses his influence well. He's an influential member of the community, a leader in the community, uh, a leader in his church. But in 1832, he, he contracts this painful disease. Like the physicians have no clue what's going on, but his left leg from the thigh down is just covered with these nasty black sores. I am not good with sick people. And just the thought of these open wound weeping sores Oh man, it makes the, the neck hair stand up and I just want to run out of the room. He, he, he goes to, to seven of the most prominent physicians in the area, but they can't do anything. And so for the next like six months, basically, um, John Tanner, like he doesn't even let his leg touch the floor because anytime it makes contact with anything is so exceptionally painful. He, he keeps his leg just right up from a right angle from his hip, from his body, resting on pillows, um, basically directly in front of him. But he doesn't let it stop himself. He has a wheelchair constructed and he moves his plate uh, around the city place to place. And as he's moving around one day in September 1832, he notices um, a, a posting, a, a notice, um, a circulatory, I don't know, like one of those posters on the, the wall, right? And it says that the two elder, uh, Latter-day Saint elders are going to preach near his house. So... FYI, this is Jared Carter, who's going to, to be preaching in the Eastern countries. And so being a Baptist lay minister, John Tanner thought he would take this opportunity to shut down this heresy and apostasy. So when the hour arrives for the meeting, John Tanner is right there, front and center, has his wheelchair parked directly in front of the elders, who he sincerely believes are imposters, and he's ready to get them wrecked. But long before their discourse ended, John Tanner is like, no, this is awesome. And so as they wrap up, he invites them to come back to his house. And mission rules are different. So the missionaries go back to his house and they talk to him till 11 o'clock that night. And that, he just is like, dude, this is real. This is good. He's like, I'm ready to be baptized. But dude, you see my leg nasty. There's no way I can be baptized. Jared Carter looks at him, this missionary, and said, don't you think there's enough power in the gospel of Jesus Christ to heal all manner of diseases? John Tanner replies, he believes the Lord could heal him. And so Jared Carter walks up to John Tanner and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. John says in his own words, I arose threw down my crutches and walked the floor back and forth, praising God and felt lighter than a feather, end quote. <laughs> Miracles, baby! That night, John uh, Tanner walks the three quarters of a mile to Lake George and he's baptized by Simeon Carter, um, and John, um, Jared Carter's companion right there. He says walking back, he just praises God and gives thanks for his complete restoration. As soon as John Tanner's taught about the word of wisdom, he quits the use of tobacco, tea, coffee, and liquor and never touches it again. 
um, in the spring of 1834, when there's Zion's camp going on, he outfits his two sons, John and Nathan, and sends them to Kirtland to join Zion's camp. And then in the fall of that year, he sold uh, two large farms and his 2,200 acres of timber to prepare to go to Missouri in the coming spring. And so he's planning to go to, to Missouri, but in the middle of December, he's planning to go to Missouri in the spring, but in the middle of the December, he gets this impression in a dream that he is needed and he needs to go to the uh, Kirtland instead of Missouri and he needs to go right now. He wakes up and he tells his wife, I'm needed in Kirtland. When are we going to go? And he's like, he's like, as soon as we can. So on Christmas Day, they take off. They travel 500 miles in the middle of the Midwest, in the middle of winter um, for a month and arrive in Kirtland on January 20th. When he arrives there, he learns that the night he had that impression that he must move, that Joseph and some of the other brethren were praying, begging the Lord to send them a brother who had the means to assist them in lifting the mortgage on the farm on where the temple was being built. Like they are praying for a miracle. They are praying for God to send them someone who can pay the mortgage on the temple. John Tanner has a dream, responds to it. And so the second day on his arrival, John Tanner uh, meets with the, the high council. He's told about the mortgage on the temple block is about to be foreclosed. And so he gives the prophet a $2,000 loan, which would be about equivalent to $60,000 today, and takes the, the prophet's note um, promising a repayment with interest. Later, he also makes loans of $13,000 and $30,000 respectively to ensure the completion of the temple. That'd be equivalent to about $390,000 and $903,000, close well over total with all of this, well over a million dollars today, just, <laughs> just ensuring the completion of the temple. And when it's done, he's there with everybody else celebrating and worshiping and receiving the, the visions and blessings that are there. But the happiness doesn't last long. The, the bank they formed there in Kirtland, the Kirtland Safety Society is gonna fail. And we're gonna talk about that in a coming up episode. And John Tanner, with these major loans, is one of the principal financial backers. So he finds himself not only destitute, but in debt because of this collapse. And where others are going to fight against Joseph, he is all in. But they're poor. And they're so poor that when he, he flees to Missouri, they have to beg for food along the way. One of his daughters, because of the malnutrition and hardship, dies on the journey there. But because he's a hustler, he got right to work in Missouri, paid off his debts, and started building wealth again. But it seems like as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, he just can't win. Under mob persecution, much of his assets were stolen again, and he was taken prisoner. But when he got out, he moved his family again to Illinois and does what he does. He bought a big farm and made it successful because that's just how he rolls. I can't help but think of Job, who because of his faith, God delights to bless following his trials. In an April conference in 1844, John Tanner is now 66 years old and he's called on a mission to the eastern states. 
But before he starts out, he goes to Nauvoo and he sees Joseph Smith. Meeting him on the street, Elder Tanner gives the prophet Joseph his note that has not ever been paid off just because circumstances are difficult. His note for $2,000 to build the temple. Um, And Joseph is just like, what do you want me to do? And Elder Tanner says, Brother Joseph, you're welcome to it. And he completely forgives the debt. And Joseph is deeply moved by this man's faithfulness, lays his hands on Elder Tanner's shoulder and says, God bless you, Father Tanner. Your children shall never beg for bread. Uh, He fulfills his mission and comes back basically in time for Joseph to be assassinated and the saints to, to move west. So in the spring of 1846, John Tanner moves again in his late 60s. He sells his farm for less than it's worth and sets out for the Rocky Mountains. And just because he is who he is, he also pays for to completely outfit two other families to travel west because they don't have the means to do so. Then in July, he pays to outfit two of his sons, Albert and Myron, to go on the Mormon battalion. It's hard, man. On the way there, his six-year-old grandson dies from falling off the wagon between Winter Quarters and Salt Lake. John Taylor, though, John Tanner, excuse me, not Taylor. John Tanner makes it to Salt Lake and dies two years later in the Salt Lake Valley. John Tanner, boys! Like John Tanner! What we're saying today, God, God spends time in these sections talking about being a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, a businessman, and an editor. We're talking about money and jobs, and nothing could seem less heavenly, right? I don't know. That doesn't seem to be how God sees it. God says, I'm I'm talking about money, jobs, family, talents. So as it says in 78 verse 15, so that you may come up to the crown prepared for you and be made rulers over many kingdoms. That's really what he's talking about here. He's talking about heaven. And he's talking about how to make you heavenly. If all this seems like a tall order, don't worry. He goes on in section 78. Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye are little children. You've not yet understood how great blessings the Father hath in his own hands and prepared for you. You have no idea how good it's going to be. You cannot bear all things now. I don't even expect you to. Nevertheless, be of good cheer. I'll lead you along. I'll lead you along. The kingdom is yours, and the blessings thereof are yours, and the riches of eternity are yours. He who receiveth all things with thankfulness shall be made glorious, and the things of this earth shall be added unto him, even a hundredfold, yea, more. Wherefore, do all the things which I have commanded you, saith the Redeemer, even the son Amen, who prepareth all things before he taketh you? For ye are the church of the firstborn, and he will take you up in a cloud and appoint every man his portion. And he that is a faithful and wise steward shall inherit all things. So, you ready to build heaven? In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.